Welcome to Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Fides is Latin for faith and truth, and that's what we do on this show is talk about truth and talk about faith. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, the great song that you're hearing in the background is my friend Frank Camp. You could find him on Spotify. Great song. This song is called Heaven Can Wait. But thanks for being here, and let's get right to it. Okay, and welcome to another edition of Feed Ace Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host. I'm really excited to have with me tonight Danielle D'Souza Gill, who is the author of a recent book called The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. Danielle, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure. So um, you, you're, one of your taglines for this book is uh, I dismantle the left's pro-choice arguments. And uh, I read your book and it, it's kind of one of those things where you kind of sometimes look at a topic like, like what you wrote about it with abortion. And I feel like, I mean, I know the arguments, I know the cases, I know it. Um, I found the book fascinating and very, very well written. And I learned a lot and had a lot of great perspectives. So um, really nice yeah. job. Thanks for writing it. Well, that's great to hear, especially from someone who is very, you know, passionate about the pro-life movement to be able to bring something new to it. That's really a compliment. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would, I'd highly recommend it. So, you know, of all the, you know, so obviously for those that may or may not know, your father is uh, Dinesh D'Souza, who's very active um, in in so many areas, writing books and movies, and he takes on a lot of the the issues of today. Um, you chose to take on the issue of abortion. So of all these political issues that are out there, and I'm sure you have lots of interests, why did you choose to write this book on this topic? Yeah, I, feel, I guess I felt like um, a lot of the narrative out there on the pro-life arguments and just the pro-life movement wasn't uh, necessarily always reaching maybe some people who were undecided about it. And I realized in college when I went to Dartmouth that, were, that there were a lot of these radical leftists, of course, and they are obsessed with Planned Parenthood, love pushing celebrities who love abortion and stuff. But I think there were other um, girls that I knew who just weren't really sure what they thought about it. And so I thought, well, how can I really target and reach those people in a way that's kind of maybe beyond a um, typical uh, you know, right to life um, event or something like that. And so that's kind of how I actually came up with like the art of like the pink yeah. vibe for it. And I wanted to organize the chapters where every one is a different kind of pro-choice argument or a different myth that the left puts forward so that someone could say like, oh, you know, this is something I hear a lot. I want to kind of jump to that. Or maybe this is intrigues me more or something because um, sometimes it can seem like there's just so many different angles and so many different arguments and things. So um, I felt like that would be more accessible. And then I guess I just felt like the left had become so radicalized on abortion. Um, when I moved to New York City and Governor Cuomo lit up the Freedom Tower pink to celebrate um, abortion at nine months, it's just like, had gotten to the point where almost any friend I would talk to, they're like, I just, I didn't even know that. I had no idea that that was going on. I'm like, yeah, Planned Parenthood is opening up even more late-term abortion clinics. They, I think, just opened 30, so 30 more. So this is obviously something the left is really pushing. And um, so I guess I just wanted to add to the the pro-life efforts out there to, to see if I can can help. 
Yeah, no, it's great. And I, I, you're, you're absolutely right how you take, and I, this is what I loved about it. You take every argument that the left makes and you address it head on. You know, there's no, like I feel like the left does on a lot of issues, certainly this, is they dance around things, they hide things, they cover things up. I mean, you directly took it. And um, so anyone who's looking to, for all these different excuses, so to speak, <laughs> you know, you address them. Um, one of the things you wrote in, in this, in your book, and, and I really like this, is, is you kind of pose the question, why does the left care so much about abortion? Because it really does feel like boy, that is it. That is their issue. Brett Kavanaugh had nothing to do with anything else other than that. And you say because abortion is at the center of the values the left has been trying to ex to expose. Um, explain that. Yeah, I guess I started thinking about this because um, I don't know. I just realized that it isn't really the minimum wage. It isn't really healthcare, other aspects of healthcare, let's say. It isn't, you know, uh, these other things, immigration, all these other issues that the left kind of will fight with the right about. It's like, that's not really the hill they're willing to die on. It's abortion. That's like why they show up to the Supreme Court. And that's why they wear the Handmaid's Tale outfits or all of that. And, um, I guess, um, like I mentioned, Deborah Katz, Christine Bozzi Ford's lawyer said that Roe v. Wade is part of what motivated Christine. And so I think this idea of, you know, maybe not just abortion, not just um, in a certain circumstance, but even just, you know, late term abortion, federally funded abortion, all these things are things that are just kind of at the center of the left's ideology. And I guess um, whenever I've talked about this to other people who are maybe pro-life or conservative, they're like, well, why is that? Why is that just like at the center of everything? Why is it so important to them? And I think it goes back to um, the fact that if people actually were even more pro-life than they are now, if they were maybe espousing more of these family values, if they did think that this was something that is, is not good, then I think a lot more people would be conservative and we would have a society where people are, you know, supporting each other and people have two parents and there's a really good dynamic going on there. There's a lot of community, um, communities that are more intact. People are relying on their local community and maybe not big government. So I think all of this in a way that these kind of family values undermine the policies that the left wants to put forward because when people are are broken and people are separated, I think the left kind of thrives on that to say like, oh, the government can swoop in, we can help you, we can offer you this and that and, and send you a check every month and so on. But of course it doesn't really solve the underlying issue. So um, I think in a weird way, maybe going back to, you know, Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood and this eugenics ideology of saying, you know, these people aren't as good as these people and the left's constant fear of population control. I think that's something that's just fueled them for a long time. And so this is kind of their subtle way of having population control without being as maybe outwardly racist as right. they as they were. Yeah, no, that's, that's very well put. It, it really is at the center. And, and I think conversely for our side, it's the center of our you know, stance as well, I think, in a lot of ways. And that shows the contrast, um, you know, because my podcast is not a specifically a pro-life podcast per se, but most of my episodes and discussions are on that issue because without life, as I know Father Pavone says that, you know, without life, what, what are the other issues matter? Like you said, healthcare, tariffs, whatever. Um, 
a couple things I want to I want to talk to you about is you bring up um, the the this Peter Singer, uh, who's a philosopher and um, at, at, and professor at Princeton. I didn't know about him, and some of the you know his his beliefs, and I'll let you explain it. And then we have the case of the Virginia governor talking about you know how if a baby survives abortion, we just let it go. Um, my question is after I'll let you explain Peter Singer, cause people are going to want to know and they'll want to read more about it in your book is, is, has the left become even more bold in regards to abortion rather than saying, okay, well, maybe it, it nine, you know, in the third trimester, maybe we no they seem to go beyond. Is that what you're seeing when you research this book? Absolutely. So yeah, Peter Singer, he's an atheist. He's kind of more of a, um, pragmatist, I guess, but as a philosopher, I think um, he puts forward kind of more of these ideas where I would say he actually lets, let, he lets his ideology hang out a little bit more. So I think other leftists might agree with him, but they wouldn't necessarily say it the way he does. But he basically says that even after a baby is born, it can be killed um, basically in the first month. So if let's say I was debating someone who's pro-choice and they're saying, no, no, it's the nine month point. It's right at birth. That's when this becomes a, a person. And I'd say, well, at birth, I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean when it's, you know, halfway out, part out, like, how does that work? I mean, how would, how would the, um, sorry, my light went off. Okay. How would the left like <laughs> decide that? And I guess, um, I mean, a C-section, like how, how would this work? So then Peter Singer kind of comes back by saying, oh no, actually you're totally right. There is no difference between this child right before it's born and right after it's born. They're the same thing. And actually I would say it's not really until about 28 days, maybe, you know, four weeks or so after it's born where it really starts having personhood. Now why he chose that exact uh, time after birth, I'm not sure. I mean, three months, four months. I mean, I don't know why he picked that time, right. but he basically says, yeah, you know, in and out of the womb, it's the same. And so I would say in the sense, I agree with him and that, yeah, it, it is the same moments before birth moments after birth, we're just talking about a matter of location. And so um, I guess I would ask people on the left, you know, what is it about that? Um, even though it isn't a moment, it's actually like hours of birth, but let's just use that term birth. Why is that personhood in your opinion? And I guess my argument is that human, uh, every human is a person, humanity equals personhood. And as soon as you separate being a human from being a person, then we are kind of just arbitrarily assigning personhood whenever we feel like it. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's because you have these certain intelligence qualities, you are this age, you are this and so on. And um, so I think what's helpful about just looking at his philosophy is that it really probes us to ask ourselves, um, why are we uh, considering this personhood uh, theme and why are we applying it to this moment of birth? Yeah. Yeah. And so do you feel that they, in writing this and in your research and so on, that the left has gotten so bold? I mean, is there a reason why they haven't especially with science that it has shown so much, shown us so much more, the reason they haven't kind of, again, taken a step back and said, well, maybe, you know, maybe not, you know, again, the third trimester or second or whatever. Do you, do you get that sense that they're saying, no, we're going even further? 
Yeah, it's so ironic because if we kind of look back to Roe v. Wade 50 years ago, they didn't have the technology we have now. So they didn't really have the ultrasounds we have now. They couldn't really kind of have the full picture we have now. And so people used to say things like, well, maybe we should give life the benefit of the doubt. Well, this could be a potential person. We'd even hear people um, who are kind of pro-life saying that. So there was a little bit more confusion, but now we really know what's happening. We can hear the heartbeat. We can see the baby in the ultrasound. The child can live for mostly the whole third trimester outside of the womb. So with the progression of science, the left has actually become much more pro-abortion. So I think for them, it isn't about the science. It isn't about the facts of that. And um, this is actually, I think, a big reason why they don't even want to debate anyone who's pro-life. Because if there was a debate, we would say, well, this is the science, these are the facts. And they wouldn't want to admit that. And they wouldn't want that to be exposed because then we're really talking about, okay, you are just valuing this human less than I do. So we both agree this is human, but you think it should die. And I think no. Um, so, and that of course puts them in a really uncomfortable situation to the public because people seeing that are going to be like, wait, that's really, really horrible. So, um, I think they don't ever want to make it about that. They always want to make it about, oh, well, let's kind of sidestep that whole situation and make the, the child seem like, you know, they say a cluster of cells and so on. And of course, they they have no reasoning for this at the nine month point that doesn't change for them they they still advocate for abortion at that point i mean yeah they're, they're not going to stop yeah i was just gonna say you're hard pressed to find even any yeah. anyone who's um an elected democrat who would even want any restriction you know right. second trimester first trimester heartbeat whatever it is you know they nothing so they act like we're extreme and it's like well they're not interested in anything right anything different either. So, yeah, it's really sick. I mean, I, I, from the research I've done and number of people that have been on my program who've, um, who are post-abortive and the, and the like, in every single case, they talk about how they were lied to, uh, those that maybe worked with, um, Planned Parenthood talk about how they were told, don't let the girl leave, right? Don't let her leave. Don't let her see the ultrasound. It's just the constant lying is uh, tells you what they really know, right? If they're having to lie. Um, so two things that were one, one of two of many things that I thought were very, very profound for me in reading your book is one, uh, you t- give the story of Richard Selzer, uh, who witnessed an abortion. And then another area uh, you talked about, and I'll let you kind of describe it because you'll do it way better than me. Um, the evidence that a baby um, retreats or f- fights the abortion, yeah. meaning it knows it's coming for it, so to speak. And yeah. those are very, those, those two stories were very profound. Can you share a glimpse of that with us? Yeah. Yeah. And they're kind of related. So Richard yeah. Selzer, um, he, I think wrote this piece actually in Rolling Stone, um, some decades ago. And it's kind of crazy because today we think, wow, this would never show up in a you know magazine like Rolling Stone, but it actually did. And he uh, was a doctor and he didn't perform abortions, but I think he was either called in or there was some reason where he basically watched an abortion with a colleague and his colleague was um, 
performing the abortion and it stuck um, kind of like a syringe into the woman's um, pregnant stomach. And he saw that it kind of bounced away. He saw, again, it move when it was there. And he saw that there was kind of like a, um, a jerk reaction in the sense that he wasn't just kind of puncturing a cluster of cells or a blob, that there was actually movement happening there that was trying to push away this interfering object. And that was kind of a life-changing moment for him where he kind of said, like, I couldn't unsee what I saw because back then people always would, would say, oh, you know, this is kind of pregnancy tissue or this, you know, they'd come up with all these terms of kind of to minimize it. And then he realized that, oh, wow, in this, you know, round stomach, there's a moving child that is trying to get this inserting object away from them that is Mm -hmm. piercing them. And um, he, I think, asked the uh, colleague, you know, what do you do in this situation? And he's like, we go again, we keep trying, you know, Um, even as long as it fights back, they fight and uh, can keep going. So that was um, a little bit of an older story, but I just found it really powerful because it showed that this was a person who wasn't, you know, political or, you know, maybe had a religious conviction. He was just a doctor and didn't realize that that's the child fighting back. And then I think um, recently there was the movie Unplanned, which kind of showed how even in the ultrasound, when um, they go in with a suction, that's kind of the most powerful abortion procedure is the vacuum aspirator suction that they insert that basically tries to find the child. And you can see on the ultrasound, the child in the womb, like try to get away from the suction as it follows it. And then it's about 20 times more powerful than a household vacuum cleaner. So it's very strong and basically like pulls out pieces through this suction. So I think when um, people see that as well today in the ultrasound, you know, somewhat similarly, they're like, wow, I can't believe that this child has avoidance reactions. It tries to get away from pain. And I talk about in the book, even just hormonally, it releases the same you know, hormones that we do like cortisol when we're under duress, when we're in pain. And this is first trimester, not even, you know, third trimester. So even at that point, they, they, they can feel pain. Yeah. Yeah. Those were two uh, really well-written and well, well well-told told witnesses or stories uh, of it. Um, The last area I want to get into with you is uh, you, you do talk about and compare the issue of abortion with the issue of slavery and, you, but you also address it from the standpoint of you, you talk about the Lincoln Lincoln Douglas debates in which the discussion was about choice. And so, you know, you know, that that's I think we could all understand the comparison in and of itself of abortion, evil, slavery, evil. Um, but they were making the, the debate or discussion about choice even back then. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. This was one of my I think just wow moments because I um, remember learning about the Lincoln-Douglas debates and I didn't didn't think of them in that context, but once I was really diving into these pro-choice arguments and thinking about how to kind of deconstruct them, I was like, 
you know, I feel like this has been done before. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, Lincoln, when he debated uh, Stephen Douglas, Lincoln was against continuing slavery and Douglas was um, in favor of what we say is pro-choice and he called it popular sovereignty where each state could decide if they wanted slavery or not. So he would say all of these very appealing arguments, all these things that sounded great, like, oh, I'm not for or against slavery. No, no, I'm neither of those things, but I just think every state should decide. I'm in favor of states' rights. That's what America's about. You know, if this state wants to have slavery, why not? If this state doesn't want to have slavery, then that's fine. And so people would think on the face of it, oh, wow, his argument is the best. He's going to, you know, win and so on. And Lincoln said, you know, the problem with that argument is that we are talking about taking away another person's rights. And he said he'd like to see slavery tried on that person personally. And that kind of reminds me of Reagan saying that everyone who's for abortion has already been born. So yes, if we're not the ones who are gonna be enslaved or we're not the ones who are gonna be killed, it's easy for us to say, oh, you know, yeah, let's debate that. Well, yeah, I don't know if we should get rid of that or not, but we're talking about another person. And um, so I think that Lincoln's arguments as far as saying, no, this isn't evil. This is something that we need to stop. And I think the only reason that Lincoln was against extending it pragmatically was just that he, from the outset, didn't think he could abolish it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, the Civil War and all of that led to that. But I think in some ways with abortion, it's like... um, I would be in favor of restrictions, but ultimately we want to get to the point where where we don't have that anymore. So I see it as kind of a close analogy with with that debate before they 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 fought the Civil War. Yeah, absolutely. It it really is that there was really great. Um, so so this has been fantastic, and and again, I I could keep talking to you for <laughs> I think hours about this because I I literally finished the book this morning and um, and it was really great and uh, so so again the book is called the choice the abortion divide in America and you can get it on you can get it on any anywhere basically right is it's yeah yeah I mean I feel uh, I guess yeah I don't have a favorite place there's uh, Barnes and Noble Amazon mm-hmm. I think books a million Christian book um, all kinds of probably smaller bookstores as well. So um, yeah, excellent. And so if you're, if you're interested to just go to uh, Danielle has a great Facebook page in which uh, she showcases the book cover. Uh, I would suggest going there to look, check it out. Um, and I would definitely suggest getting it. I did. It was well worth the read. It was a, it was a, one of those ones where you we went through it quickly and um, I did take some notes because um, I had to mark down some, Ooh, that was really good and stuff. So Really, really great job. And I have a feeling uh, you're going to have some more books under your belt uh, <laughs> in the future. So um, I hope uh, should you and I think you will. Uh, please come back on my program. You're welcome. Well, you. I appreciate you reading it and really going through it. I feel like that makes such a difference in the discussion and being able to kind of dive into things that not everyone mm-hmm. even would know to bring up or ask because it's a little outside of the um, traditional pro-life um, wheelhouse of questions. So I really appreciate you reading it. Yep, absolutely. And I'm going to post it on all my stuff too. So if anyone listening, uh, you could you could easily, should be able to easily find it. Again, Danielle D'Souza Gill, 
Uh, thank you so much for being here and thank all of you very much for being here and listening. Uh, see you next time and next episode.